happy Sunday. Uh, all right, I'm the only one that's happy. Like happy Sunday is like, mm. don't be like that. That's not good. Um, good morning. All right, we're going to start here in Luke chapter uh, 17. Let's grab that and we'll get going. Luke chapter 17. Okay, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for who you are to us and what you're doing in our lives. We thank you, God, because you are holy and awesome and we love you and we want to know you and become more like you and cherish you and tell you how valuable you are. And you're awesome. And Lord, as we hear this morning, we just pray that you would help us to make place in our hearts for more of you in us. And to know and understand you. And to love you and adore you and to honor you, God. Love you, Jesus. Help us, God. Help us to understand you. Help us to know you. Help us to, to be more like you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 7. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep Say to him, when he has come in from the fields, come at once and recline at table. Will you not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. So uplifting. <laughs> Such encouragement. Gosh, it's going to be a great Sunday morning. You can feel it already. The people are excited. They're just... Woo, the word of the Lord. Read it again, brother. Read it again. All right. <laughs> it's actually much deeper than you think. I, I, well, it's, it's much deeper than it appears at first. Maybe you've already gotten to the conclusion. Um, there's a certain um, uh, concern that I have about... I always feel like I'm concerned about everything. You, you must feel like I'm concerned about everything. Uh, it's, there's a certain concern that I have about, um, about um, modern Christian culture that I think has seeped into a lot of, a lot of well, modern culture that I th think has seeped into church culture. Um, in fact, I, it may have originated in the church, and, uh, which I'll tell you in a moment. And, um, and, and now, um, I, I think it's created um, 
I, I, I think it's just wrecked havoc on, on a lot of people's hearts and, and their sense of identity. And, um, and it goes to the heart of what Jesus is saying here. Um, what Jesus is saying here sounds really rough. Yeah? Um, but it's actually, like all things that Jesus says, very helpful and very important. So, okay, um, on the first level, right, on the most basic level, is essentially saying, like, don't demand to be celebrated and recognized for the things that you've done. Like, be content. Realize that even after you've done a good job, you're still unworthy. And that does sound vaguely like the gospel. <laughs> but we don't like it <laughs> very much. We like to be patted on the back and given a sticker and told how awesome we are every time we do anything that's remotely useful. And so there's something a little bit uncomfortable there for us. Um, and, uh, but it's a very important principle, actually. Um, there's no culture that will survive if you need to be congratulated and rewarded every time you do something well. Like, it just doesn't, it, it doesn't work. We spend too much time congratulating each other. Like, you know, it, it just it, it doesn't work. Um, the right thing to do is just to do what is right and don't expect to be recognized for it, to be celebrated for it. Um, and not to look for that uh, and to be content merely with doing what is right. Like that, being fulfilled with that in of itself rather than being acknowledged for doing what is right. Um, and so th that's, you know, sort of the immediate conclusion here. But then, so, but now I have a question, right? Because if you're not supposed to expect to be celebrated for doing what is right, what are you to be celebrated for? Or should you just be celebrated for nothing, as Joanne thinks? <laughs> nothing. It's nothing. Um, as holy as that sounds, um, th that's not, th that's unfortunately not the way that people ever operate. If nobody ever noticed you, acknowledged you, affirmed you, encouraged you, said anything uplifting about you, um, most people just wouldn't survive. Like, you just, just wouldn't survive. And so, as, as much as I think that that does sound like a very holy place to be, um, it just, you don't really do very well in that place. One of the reasons that what Jesus is saying here is very difficult, um, he, he's obviously trying to, trying to help us to pivot away from being celebrated for the things that we do, for the things that we do well. But one of the reasons that, that what Jesus is saying here is, is difficult for us is because we have created um, obstacles to, to making this so natural. And one of those things is that we refuse to celebrate people for other things. Okay, this is not going over very well. We've um, decided that it's um, shallow to celebrate people for things other than their actions or their deeds. Uh, or to recognize them, or to think that you can be celebrated for um, things that you did not do. Okay. 
Um, let's say that you're a uh, young man. doesn't matter. Uh, other gender also works, but it works the other way too. Let's say that you're a young man and you meet a, a, a young woman. They're not talking about anything romantic. We're just talking about life, you know? And, um, you know, you and your friends are talking. And you're like, oh, you know, what a pretty young lady she is. Um, how does that go over with, what is the immediate response that you're very likely to get? What, are you in love? <laughs> or why are you so shallow? <laughs> Do you know? This is very interesting. You can't, you, you can't, you're not allowed to, in our culture, you're not allowed to think or say that someone looks good because that is shallow. The, my problem though, with that is um, if you read, uh, for instance, Song of Songs, which I have, <laughs> Song of Songs 1, verse 8, if you do not know, O most beautiful among women, fall on the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's heads. Ignore the, the very past, you know, the very um, frolicly language here, okay? But, but listen, look, if you do not know, O oh, most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. Verse 15, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful, your eyes are doves. 16, behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. Chapter 2, verse 1, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. As a lily among brambles, so is my love among the young women. They really mess up this translation. King James says, as a lily among thorns. That's, nobody knows what brambles are. <laughs> as a lily among thorns, so is my love among the young women. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight, I sat in a shadow, and the fruit was sweet to my taste. Blah, blah, blah. Verse 8. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. You can read the rest of the song, songs. It's not about what great things they have done. They're not in love with each other because of the great things that they've done. Chapter 4, verse 1. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. <laughs> your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like the flock of shorn ooze who have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and not one among them has lost its young. Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your two, oh, R-rated, Skip that. Seven. You're altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. 
9. You have captivated my heart. My sister, my bride, you have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel from your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride, and how much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. Um, yeah, they're not in love with each other because they're both really holy people who've done a, a bunch of really incredible things. They appreciate each other and they celebrate each other. They affirm each other because of their appearance. Which, as the church tells us, is shallow and unbecoming and vain. Oh, haven't you read Proverbs thirty-one, thirty, brother? Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That's true. But there's a difference between being praised and being celebrated. There's a difference between being praised and being celebrated. You can affirm someone without praising them. It's true. Praise should be earned by the things that you've done and by the choices that you've made and for the person that you are. But you can be celebrated and you can be loved and indeed you are loved. Not for the things that you've done, but for things that frankly are given to you for free. Like how good looking you are. And the reason that we demand to be affirmed for our actions is because we need to be affirmed. But we are supposed to be affirmed and celebrated, not just for what we have done, but for the things that God has given to us, endowments, gifts, free things that we never earned, but that we nevertheless have. And if we were to be rightly celebrated for those things, and if we were to allow ourselves to celebrate each other for those things, then we would not always be eagerly craving, clawing for recognition for the things that we've done. Because that hole in our hearts, that desire, that need to be recognized has already been met by the things that were given to us freely. In fact, that's God's design and His intention. If He wanted us all to be ugly, as the church does, he would have simply made everyone ugly. There are certain church cultures where it's almost like you're more holy if you're more plain. Do you know? It's like the furthest thing we want. What are you thinking? That that's what we do here too? Okay, discuss later. Discuss later. Clarification needs to be issued discuss later. There are certain church cultures where it's as if you're more holy, if you're more plain. But it's one thing to say that, that you know, following what Peter says, that we should not be adorning ourselves externally. There's no reason for us to clean the outside of the cup without the, like, it, that, that's, that's one thing to say, like, don't waste, don't idolize your appearance. It's another thing to say, well, it's completely, you know, of no value and nobody ever mentioned, nobody ever think about it, pretend like you don't see. Just pretend like you don't notice. Appearance is only one example. There are lots of things, actually, that you can be celebrated for that God gave you that you didn't earn at all. It's just one example. There are things that you were born with. Some people were born with a very strong sense of humor. 
that other people are not born with. It's partially trained, but it, it partially just in endowment. Some people are born more intelligent than others. It, again, is an endowment. Some people are born more gifted in certain areas than others, and some people are born more athletic, more strong than others. Some people are born taller than others. And it just seems like we, we're not allowed to say these things because that would just make us very shallow people and why are you focused on those things and why are you not focused on the things that really matter, which is like people's holiness and the things that they do. And the, the reason for that is because if there's only one thing you can affirm people for, then people demand to be affirmed in that way. And sometimes you can't affirm people in that way and then they're just depressed because <laughs> you can't affirm them at all. People need to earn your honor. But they don't need to earn your love. They, they, you, you can value someone because God has created them in a certain way. Just as we value the mountains, who don't work very hard to be what they are, but they are glorious in the way that God has created them, just as we value the sky and the stars and the sun and the moon. Not because they work very hard, maybe they do, not because they work very hard, but because God has merely created them in that way. And you can value people for that too. Like That's not something you can't celebrate. You should not praise someone for their beauty, but you can celebrate someone for their beauty. In fact, it's kind of important that you do. If you think of Song of Songs chapter 4, which we just read, I mean, this is very, um, imagine, you know, one of you uh, single young men, actually, I guess the same would be true of um, those of us that are married, but imagine if one of you, you know, went to one of your sisters and you affirmed her in this way. Your eyes are doves behind your veil and your hair is like a flock of goats <laughs> leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Lord have mercy. People would be like, what is going on in your church? And yet that's the Bible. And if we were to notice and to affirm these things about each other, then we don't have to be so righteousness-oriented. Fact. After you've done every good thing that you could possibly do on this planet, you still are unworthy before God. And so if that is the only way for you to derive your worth, it's not a very fulfilling way. And so God in his mercy has actually given us other ways. He simply endowed us with things that make us worthy. God considers us to be beautiful. Not just in heart, uh, that is most important. <laughs> but not just in heart, God considers you to be beautiful. You, know, you didn't earn that, I know. But he still does. And that draws him to you. He created you in his image. And he ain't ugly. So if you were created in his image, neither are you. You're all like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and nor is the person sitting next to you. Or anyone who's a human being on the planet. God did not create any ugly things, actually. Everything God, God, that God created is lovely. Now we're able to pollute and corrupt and, you know, to do things that take away some of that. But everything that God created is beautiful. And it should be affirmed as such. 
And if we were willing to affirm it as such, then we would give it, assign to it a certain amount of value, uh, communicate our value for that thing. And if we communicate our value for that thing, then, then that thing will feel value and doesn't need to try to find value from somewhere else. Thought experiment. If you praise every young man and woman, every boy and girl that grows up in your church as being handsome or lovely, would that save them from reckless romantic relationships in their teenage years? I think in many cases it does. Because there are plenty of Christian people, you know some, who date not because they want to get married or anything like that, but to have a sense of belonging and a sense of value and a sense of worth. Oh, somebody values me. Somebody sees me. Somebody appreciates me. I've thought um, for a long time now, you know this, that, um, that the best way to protect um, young ladies from romantic relationships is simply for them to have a father who cherishes them. But the, I, I think brothers could serve the same purpose. And sisters for men. Do you know? Song songs is not about two holy people. And it's a classic depiction of, of, of love, not just sensual romantic love, but of love, period. The most expressive uh, portion in the scripture that talks about love. And there's no part of it that says that they love each other because they're both holy. If you think about what she's loved for, she loves love because she's beautiful. Does she earn it? No. Does she put on makeup? No. She just is. And she's loved for that. And she is content and confident and at peace, at rest, because she is loved in that way for that reason. But if someone said, I value you because I think that you're handsome or your beard is fulsome, only in um, Bethel and a few other people's case, <laughs> Micah has a beard, you know, Josiah has something. <laughs> it's there. We know it's there. Alina will tell us what it is. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Joke. Oh, Alina's not even here. Good. But imagine that you had a relationship with someone where like, you just, you, you felt that, that they were um, worthy of, of your affirmation, of your praise. I'm sorry, not of your praise, of, of your encouragement just because of the things that God had given them, not because of what they've done. That would, I think, if they were convinced that you were content with the endowment that God had given them, that you value them because of what God had given them, and you're content with that, I think that would free them from feeling they need to please you by doing certain things to please you. And again, I think in our culture, sometimes we think that that's wrong or that's shallow. But I, I think that that's actually very freeing. And what Jesus is saying here is not only be humble after you've done things that are good and don't demand praise for it, but I think what he's saying, although he's not saying it directly, is that that's simply not the way. That, that's simply not the way that people, that their self-worth and their identity is established or affirmed in the kingdom. That's just not what we do. 
Like that, that's not the way to, to do it. Paul, for instance, insists that he's an apostle. Why is he an apostle? Is he the hardest working? He is, in fact. Or at least he claims to be. But that's not the reason that he says he's an apostle. He says, I am an apostle. Why? By God's will. Because God's called me. Because he simply asked me to do it. He gave me the job. Now, is he the most hardworking? Yes. Did he suffer? Absolutely. Was he persecuted? Absolutely. To go through hard times? Of course. Buffeted, homeless, thirsty, hungry, tired, no rest, you know, ill repute, gossip. Like, of course, he suffered many things to be. But he said, that's not the reason I am an apostle. I'm an apostle by God's will because God, is, because God has asked me to be. And so are you. Why are you awesome? Is it because you worked the hardest, because you got into the best school, because you had the highest SAT score, because like, you, know, you did the best at, at, at violin camp? Because like, 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 yes, you did those things, and that's wonderful, and that's great, but what if we just think that you're pretty good looking? And so you're valuable. This, I, I, I don't know how this is coming across to you, because you're all just being quiet. So... I, I could imagine you all being like, this is blasphemous. We cannot do this. Sexual sin! Like, uh, or, uh, or, or, or maybe, but, mm, this is nice. Maybe we should try that. Like, I think that it is God's intent for you to be free of the need to perform. And that your righteousness come from a very natural place that you are righteous because you are righteous. Not because, not you're righteous to earn the affirmation of others. Not you're righteous because you want to be accepted by them. Not you're righteous because you want to belong in the church. Not you're righteous because you want people to think well of you. No, like you're righteous because you are righteous. In order to have that freedom, you need to not, you understand, you, you can't derive your, your worth from it because then innately that becomes, that, that becomes a shackle for you. You need to have the freedom to choose freely. Right? In order to have the freedom to choose freely, like, you can't get anything from it. In order to not get anything from it, you have to get your sense, your confidence and self-worth and everything else from other things. Where do you get it from? From your good looks? From your talents? From your personality? From all that sort of stuff. And so there are, two, there are people in church that do you know, wonderful things to serve us and, and to, to, um, to uh, you know, that really bless all of us. Sydney baked muffins today. In addition to, Sydney does everything. She set all this up uh, with the other people in the band. She played electric guitar. And then she baked muffins. I mean, it's just everything. And so do a lot of you have multiple gifts, lots of so many different gifts and wonderful ways which you contribute to the church. And, you know, undoubtedly, when you taste those muffins, which were baked at midnight last night, or, or thereabouts, when you taste those muffins, you'd be like, Sydney, oh my God, thank you so much for baking the muffins. If that's all, if that's the only time you ever say anything nice to Sydney, she's going to think that, I'm not picking on Sydney, you know, she's going to think that, like, she has to bake muffins in order for you to like her. And then she's not free to bake muffins. She bakes muffins because she wants to be liked. Again, I'm not picking on Sydney. I'm just telling you how life, right? We're just talking about how life works. Okay, but what if every week you came up to Sydney and you're like, Sydney, your hair looks so great this week. Looks like a flock of goats running down. 
The way it bounces when you turn your head looks like a flock of goats running down a hill. Your teeth are so shiny. Did you go to the dentist recently? New toothpaste? What is it? No. You know? Your pon- well, Lily's wearing poncho. Sydney's wearing poncho. Your poncho. It's so fashionable. Where did you get such a lovely thing? If you, if you do that, she doesn't need to bake muffins because she's already, she already knows that you value her. She, she already feels noticed. She feels like she belongs. She already feels like she has a place in your life. She already feels like she's secure in who she is with you. And when she bakes muffins, she wants to bake muffins. Not because she has to bake muffins. She wants to bake muffins. She enjoys baking muffins. Let her bake muffins. But then she doesn't have to bake muffins. And that's fantastic. This is so very strong in us that we sometimes, we, we, even you know, for those of you that are married or you know, whatever, you, you may have experienced this. Sometimes you affirm your significant other. You're like, oh, you're loving me. They're like, don't tell me I'm loving Tell me what good things I've done. <laughs> that doesn't happen in our marriage, just other people's. Don't tell me I'm pretty. Tell me what good things I've done. Oh, you work so hard to take care of the kids. That's right. What else? <laughs> you keep everything so clean. That's right. What else? Like, I mean, it's, it, 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 it's, we won't accept affirmations that we don't think are real, that are, we think are illegitimate. They're not illegitimate. They're, like, they're not illegitimate. They are, in fact, the things that God has created you to be affirmed and to be accepted and to be loved for. You see how God set this up so awesomely? You don't have to do diddly squat to be loved. All the ingredients of being loved, like, you know, of, of someone looking at you and believing that you're valuable, they already exist in you. They're freely given to you. And that gives you the freedom to do things. Now, you can be praised for the things that you do. You should be praised for the things that you do. You should be, you should be rewarded. That stuff you've earned, right? When you do good things, you, you, there's a reward for that. And you've earned that, but you shouldn't need that. We think that it's perfectly acceptable to praise kids because they're cute. And the reason is because they can't do it. There's no other thing to praise them for. <laughs> There's no other thing to praise them for. They're not particularly articulate. They bumble about, you know, they mess things up, they make messes. There's nothing particularly, there's nothing else for you to from them for. So you praise them because they're cute, because that's it, that's all you got. And they are cute, and you genuinely believe that, but that's all you got. Well, it's a delusion to think that you have anything else. That's also all you've got. Because the sum of all of our labors is dirty rags. It's not possible that you do anything that God looks at be like, oh my God, no angel could have done that. God, that voice when you sang this morning. Mm-mm-mm. Don't hear songs like that in heaven. That's all you've got. Is that God looks at you and he says, oh, so cute. And for some of us, depending on how you feel about these things, you may, that may just totally make you feel empty and worthless, but it shouldn't. It should make you feel totally confident and secure. God gave you these things. You are that. And you are that after you've sinned. And you are that when you do something foolish or say something foolish or do anything. That... And when you sin, you don't feel like you have to repent 72,000 times because it's just not good enough. My repentance was really... Like, it just... Be free. 
He created you in such a way that he was naturally attracted to you. And so are other people. They're naturally attracted to the way that your hair flows. Let it grow. Unless you're a guy, then don't. You feel strongly that that era. Just tell your brothers. Actually, I need a haircut myself. But, you know, you just, like, your neck is like the Tower of David. Dear God, I was like, are you allowed to say these things? This is, like, considered too, too graphic for church. It's not. It's, it's, it's in the Bible. Don't do the breast one. Like, skip verse 5. But all the others, you know, your lips are like a scarlet thread. Your mouth, it's lovely. I was just so direct. It's so funny because it's like, oh, too many metaphors. I ran out of metaphors. Your mouth is lovely. (laughs) Towers, goats, lambs, ewes, wool, use them all. It's just lovely. I'd like to encourage you to be free. I'd like to encourage you not to think ill of others or to think that they're shallow or whatever because... And I would inc- like to encourage you to set your heart on having an identity that is born out of things that God has given you, not things that you've earned. You can't earn it. There's nothing you could do. It's not good enough. You'll never be good enough. Mm-hmm. And just like you expect your parents to love you, and you'd be like, the only reason you love me is because I'm your child. Yeah! <laughs> and that's a good thing. That's free. And God also loves you that way. The only reason you love me is because you think I'm pretty. Precisely! And that should be something that is good to you, not something that is negative to you. And if you understand that, then when you do this, will any of you who is a servant plan or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table, will you not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? The, it actually, once this becomes really easy actually to serve and then serve and then serve and then serve and then serve because along the way you see all my master's eyes are upon me. He's pleased with me. He values me. And it just becomes actually easier to to continue to flow in that without needing to be like, okay, now I have to be honored. Somebody has to say something nice about me. You don't crave that anymore because you've gotten that sense of worth from something else already. And it's something that God offers to you and I. It's also something that we can offer to each other, and I'd like to encourage you to offer it to each other. We are not, have not all been born beautiful in the same ways, duh, because otherwise we would not all be beautiful. We would all be South Korea. Never mind. That was a joke. You may not understand that. It's actually a big problem. Facial recognition doesn't work very well because people's faces all look the same. So we're not beautiful all in the same way. Some of us have wavy hair, some of us have straight hair. They're both great. Some of us have very curly hair. Some thick curls, some thin curls, and then some, like Joanne, can change her hair at will. (laughs) It's magic is what it is. And a $50 billion industry, but it's magic. (laughs) You know? One day she looks one way, the next day is totally different. It's just, it's magic. <laughs> Don't look too deeply into it. You'll mess with the magic.
the principle that I'm talking about here applies to a lot of different things. It, um, uh, pretty much everything that, that we have um, decided to assign our self-worth to uh, can be a real obstacle for us. Uh, and it's because I, I think whatever it is that you think makes you valuable, you demand that more and more. I'll give you an example, which may seem like a weird example to you, but it's actually very important to you because I think it's a, it's a way that people can stumble. There's a guy... Um, who uh, a Chinese guy um, uh, in the underground church who, um, when he, who was young, he was called to be an evangelist um, by the Lord, and he was fairly fruitful now. And um, I, a few years later, um, one day he was arrested for evangelism. And again, that's a fairly standard set of facts. That's not very uncommon. But when he was arrested, he was very upset and angry with God. And the reason that he was angry with God was because he was an evangelist and he was a church planter, and that was his what he believed that he was. And being in prison, he couldn't do that anymore. And so he actually became very upset with God that God would allow him to be arrested because then he couldn't do that thing that he felt gave him value in his community and in God's eyes. Do you see how dangerous that is? And in prison, as he's complaining to God, God says to him, uh, um, you know, you're right. I have called you to be an evangelist. You're only going to be in prison for 20 days. And within those 20 days, you're going to um, see 17 salvations. And so he takes the word that the Lord spoke to him. Um, and then the days begin to go by. It's the first day, it's the second day, it's the third day. Nothing happens. And so then he gets, starts to get angry with God again. He said, God, I thought that you told me 20 days, here I am, nothing's happening, I'm not just doing nothing, I'm just sitting in prison, it's like such a waste of my time, and this is not what you've created me for, and blah, 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 blah. On, I think it was day five or six, something like that, something happens. Um, I can't remember exactly what it is, but I think like one of the guards gets mad at him or something like that, or, you know, just, there's, there's no justice system, right? So it's just bizarre. Um, if they accuse him of some other crime, and the other crime uh, carries a 15-year sentence with it. And so they come to him and they tell him, you're going to be in here for 15 years. And you can imagine what that does to him. He's like, God, you told me 20 days, 15 years. I mean, just, uh, just truly, like, very upset with God. Like, not good place. Upset with God. And this guy's talented, brilliant, gifted, fruitful, all the things that you and I want to be. Very upset with God. On day 14... A fight breaks out in the prison between two inmates. The guards get there too late. One of them kills the other one. And they're unable to revive him. The guards are very scared because, um, well, as you can imagine, if you're a prison guard and your inmates get, well, I mean, you know, they, they get in trouble. Just like with the Philippian jailer felt in Act 17 when, you know, all the prisoners were set free. Like, I'm going to kill myself because th I mean, that, that's the primary way you get in trouble is that you're supposed to, hello, <laughs> have custody of these prisoners and, 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 and one killed another one. That's not supposed to happen. And so the guards got very nervous. And after seven hours of this guy being dead, they finally came to this religious guy. And they said to this, 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 this guy that was in jail, they said, um, you say you believe in God. Come and pray for this guy. He's killed. Seven hours, that guy lay there dead. He went over to him. He was still in the prison courtyard and moved him. He prayed for him, and after a while, the guy got up from the dead.
everybody that saw it got saved. The guy that killed them got saved. The other persons that were involved in the fight got saved. The guards got saved. The guards said, we will make sure that that 15-year sentence doesn't happen to you. And as long as you're in prison, which is another six days, every single day we would like you to lead a Bible study in the afternoon and tell us everything you know about this God. You have six more days. In the course of those six days, 17 people precisely to the dot get saved. And on day 20, precisely as God said, he left the prison. Great story, right? Okay. Where did he go wrong? His sense of identity was so attached to what he was doing that if he were not in prison and forced into the circumstance, he would have absolutely missed what it is that God wanted him to do in those 17 days. God put him in prison specifically consistent with the calling that he had, but he couldn't see it. And because his sense of self-worth was attached to being able to save people and preach to them and save souls and build churches, because that's where his sense of self-worth was attached to, he very just, nearly just about missed, and in fact got mad at God for the detour that he, what he thought it was a detour. It's not a detour. It's all part of God's plan. But it felt like a detour because it separated him from that thing that he attached his self-worth to. And that's what a lot of us have. And so we're not doing well at work, but our sense of identity is attached to, I'm a smart, high-accomplishing person that messes with, and, and we, we, we refuse to, to go that direction, you know? We refuse to be unemployed. We refuse to have no income. We refuse to, we refuse to believe that because our sense of self-worth is tied up in that. When we fail a, a class in school, what, it, we feel like our, our self-worth is being assaulted. I, it, I remember when I am... Um, I only got a B once through 12th grade, and it was an unjust B. My teacher did not grade my assignment correctly, gave me a 60 on something that I should have gotten an 84. And so I ended up getting a B. In one class, it was in eighth grade, I remember it to this day. So much bitterness <laughs> against that teacher. I can remember what he looks like, I remember what, don't, so much bitterness in my heart. I, I'm good now, as you could tell. So much bitterness, anyways. So when I, get to, um, when I get to MIT in my first semester, um, as some of you have, we had, um, well, some of you know, Catherine and Zion and anybody else who was fortunate enough to be at the MIT, um, have passed no record. And let's just say I had a no record in one of my classes. And um, God, it was so traumatizing. I can't even tell you how traumatizing it was. It was so traumatizing. My entire sense of my value was utterly shaken because I was a person that always got straight A's. I was a person that took more AP tests than anybody else. I did better at math competitions. And I mean, there were like, uh, you know, 20, 30, 40. I, there were a small number of people in the country that are better at math than me, but like, it was a pretty small number of people. And all of a sudden, it was just like, I, I think I got a, a D in chemistry. 5012, you understand. No, actually you don't, you're like, 5012, I got an A plus in that. <laughs> Should have taken 5011, whatever. <laughs> Didn't. Hung out with my pre-med friends, which, ugh, anyways. Um, totally shook my sense of self-worth. Totally and completely shook my sense of self-worth. And it was totally unnecessary. Because God never valued me because I was a straight-A student. 
But that is what I value myself for. Do you know why? Because that's what people affirm me for. That's what my mom was most proud of me for. That's what all my friends knew me for. And so if I didn't do well at a math competition or if I didn't score well in the SATs, it was embarrassing. I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want anyone to know. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to be honest about it. I, 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 I wanted to pretend like I, it just, that was how it is. If I wasn't going to succeed at something, I didn't want to do it at all. If I wasn't going to get a perfect score, why take the test? If you don't think that you're going to get a five, why do the AP? Just not do it at all. If I don't think I'm going to get an 800, I'm not taking the SAT two. I only take SATs that I think I can get 800 on. Do you know, because I was homeschooled, I took a lot of them. Like, I think seven or eight. But that was, that was the entire sense of self-worth was built upon that. And so when that became shaken, as it does at a certain institute, as, as it does, then everything here becomes shaken. Do you know? And so what Jesus is saying is much more complicated than be humble. What he's saying is, I don't want you to have a sense of self-worth that is attached to the things that you do. I think, I'm reading into it, but I think what he is tra he's trying to save you from a lifestyle where you need to be continually be celebrated for the things that you've done because that's what you think makes you a good servant. And to recognize that the best thing that you could do still makes you unworthy actually is not diminishing of who you are. It actually sets you free if you can truly recognize it. Do you see when Jesus says, don't be anxious about anything in Matthew chapter six, also in Luke chapter whatever it is, eight, I think. He says, don't be anxious, right? Why does he say don't be anxious? Look at the birds of the fields. Look at the, fl uh, sorry, look at the flowers of the fields. Look at the birds, the air. They're not worth anything. And yet they have clothing, they have food. How much more value are you? Are you more valuable to God because you are more holy than them? You're not more holy than them. You're more valuable to God because God has created you in his image because he gave you greater dignity and greater value as a gift. And Jesus says, see, don't you realize you're of more value to God than one of them? How much more will God take care of you? In the same way, we have to understand this. How much more will God take care of you? How much more will God secure your calling? How much more will God take care of the things that you care about? How much more does God care about the things that you care about? He loves you. He esteems you. He cherishes you. He, 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 Zephaniah, I think, 3.17 says, he raises a banner of, of delight over you. Which I never really understood until I had kids. But because you're, you're, you're taller than your kids, sometimes where they're dancing, you, you, actually, I've done this. Like, you, when you flag, like, you raise a banner of them. It's weird. It's a weird image. It's a very weird image. And, and, and you, but, but, but what it is, it's, it's a, I cover you and I also have great joy over you. That you're playing underneath my covering. And you didn't earn it. You didn't need to earn it. You were that because of something you were born with, which is that you were born with our, the tie, a family, that you were born with that. You didn't earn it. But that doesn't mean that it's not real. It's very real. It's more real than anything else you have. The fact that you are, born, you are made in God's image is the thing that gives you the greatest amount of dignity and worth in this world. It's not you winning a Nobel Prize. It's not you being a billionaire. It's not you having five kids. It's not you being a holy person, even. It's the fact that you were created in God's image. And you were already created in God's image. And nobody can take that away from you. And no amount of sin that you commit, don't sin, no amount of sin that you commit can change that. 
it can corrupt it, but then God can redeem. Do you, do you know? And so, be free! Like, be free. And affirm each other, affirm one another, like, for these things. Our attachment to performance is so um, unhealthy and it's so difficult that, let me give you a few examples. Number one, do you know how, like, when you're a kid, and even when you're an adult, really, um, they hand out participation awards for people who didn't win but participated? Those are silly. There's no such thing as participation award because awards need to be won. That's the whole point. But I've been to math competitions where everybody went home with a ribbon. You know, I wish I had other examples other than just math. <laughs> I've seen swim meets where everybody went home as a, or I've heard of, I, you know, I didn't compete. Um, I've heard of swim meets where everybody went home with a, with a ribbon. But that inflates and deflates the value of the trophy. In order for the trophy to be valuable, not everybody can get one. Do you, do, does that make any sense? And so we have to be able to like, really praise people for good things that they've done or good things that they have. In order to do that, we can't praise everyone because not everybody's done that. In order to not praise everybody, we have to celebrate other people for, for other things. It's a very important part of the, of the whole system of, of how God creates a healthy community identity and belonging, right? We have to be able to praise people for other things. A lot of things that are unacceptable in our culture are, are actually things that God has designed and created to give us a sense of worth. For instance, nepotism. You don't like it. You hear about it and you're like, why should you give because you're somebody's son? Precisely, actually. Precisely. There's nothing wrong with the CEO's son becoming CEO or the founder's son becoming, you know, owner of, you know, owner of the new company. Like, uh, you know, when, when he, like, there's nothing wrong with that. None of those are nothing wrong with that. That is entirely, that, that is the entire basis upon which God blesses all sorts of things. You know, what do they call Jesus? Son of David. And because he is son of David, and because God made David a promise, he has, I mean, really, I mean, we know that he's son of God, so he has the right to rule and reign, but over Israel and over the Jews specifically, he has the right because he's the son of David. And that's not unfair, that's not unholy, that's not ungodly, that's not biased, that's not, that's, that's the great that God has created it. It, 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 it. You were born with it. You didn't earn it, and you were born with it, and it's, there's nothing unjust or unrighteous about it. It's perfectly just and perfectly righteous. It's part of the system that God has created. You also get an inheritance from your parents. It may be different. Maybe not a throne. Who wants a throne anyway? Full of responsibilities. Heavy lies the crown, says Shakespeare, you know? Like, full of responsibilities. Who wants a throne? And you get the inheritance from your parents. Some of you a farm. Some of you a house. Some of you a manufacturing business or something else. And some of you no money but other things. And that's not wrong. And when we begin to think in our hearts that it is wrong, we turn against those things, well, you know, like it's derogatory to say that you are the son of, you know, so-and-so, and so, you know, or the daughter of so-and-so, and so-and-so. It's not. It's, it's part of your Embrace it. That's, it's awesome. And maybe your dad, you know, is, a, is, a, is an engineer and trained you to be an engineer. That's a good thing. And it should be celebrated. That's wonderful. And maybe your dad loves pineapples, and so you also love pineapples. And that's like, that's awesome. And maybe your mom was a great seamstress, and so do you. Like, there's, these are not things that, like, that, that we frown upon or, or attack people for. Oh, you're the son of a senator. You were born with a silver spoon in your mouth. 
that, exactly. And that's a blessing that they should be celebrated for, not cursed by, and not judged for. That's considered a blessing in God's eyes. Why would we judge people for things that God is used to bless them with? Number two, appreciating your own culture that God has given to you, that you did not assign to yourself, but that God has given to you, is not being racist. Having a preference for your own culture, your own heritage, more than other people's cultures and heritages does not make you racist. Do not let this woke generation tell you that you are not allowed to love and embrace and appreciate the culture that you were born into. This is a disaster that people that are white cannot embrace and accept and love their own heritage anymore. And it's like, you know, if you're from Colombia, then you can be proud to be Latino. But if you're from America, then shame on you. That's craziness. Did you know that Paul, who was sent to the Gentiles, loved the Jews and tried to preach the Jews to the Jews and reach the Jews and felt the Jews were special? Up until the very last chapter of Romans, when he finally concluded, oh, you guys, stubborn people. But then Romans chapter 11 prophesied that one day the Jews would be redeemed and saved. They did not think, not Peter, not James, not John, not Paul, nobody, they did not think that the Jews were equal and uninteresting and just one of a million different cultures. They didn't think that. They thought that they were special. They thought that God specifically valued them. They felt that like their culture and their history and their relationship with God was special and worthy of being protected and worthy of being honored and worthy of being valued, just not worshipped. Just not chosen at the expense of, of rejecting Christ. But in every other way, worthy and valuable and awesome and amazing. And so is yours. You know, Esther and I have different cultures and sometimes... To be honest, she gets a little bit upset with me. She's like, "What? Well, you love Chinese food more than Korean food. Yeah! <laughs> when you order food, we always eat Chinese food. Yeah! <laughs> you and our kids speak Chinese. Exactly! <laughs> and pretending like I think that they're equal or equal value is, is foolishness. They're not, in my opinion. But I also don't expect you to believe that they're equal. And it's totally fine for you to advocate, well, I want the kids to learn Korean. That's great. Advocate for that. Like, you be a proponent of that. Because, because that's your family, and that's your background, and that's your heritage, and I think that you are valuable, and so I think your preferences are valuable. But you can't make me, like, pretend like I don't like Chinese food the best. I do! And nor should you pretend or apologize for the things that, did you see these are endowments, these are not things that you created or chosen, but they are essentially part of you and they should be valued by you. And you can be affirmed for these things and accepted and embraced and, and lifted up for these things. And I really would encourage us to try to do this. If we can do this well, we can take away this, this nasty performance spirit that is all over this 
I mean, you know, us, but just uh, the Christianity. That comes with hypocrisy. Ugh. Because if we are only affirmed for who we are, who we present ourselves, then of course we want people to see us in that way so they can affirm us. Speaking of hypocrisy, there's a new movie out called Honk for Jesus. I don't know if any of you have seen it. Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. Okay. It's so good. Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. It's a parody of, of essentially it, it, what it is is a parody of, of religious hypocrisy. But it is so deep and so cutting and so funny because, okay, I, sorry, I, I need to finish the advertisement and keep moving with the sermon here. But, but it's, it's, it's really good. There's one adult scene in the middle, just fast forward. Um, just warn you in advance, when you get to the adult scene, just fast forward. It's a fairly long adult scene, so keep fast forwarding. Um, but, but the rest of it is so funny and awesome. And the acting is incredible. Like Regina Hall, she's just, she's excellent in this movie. Um, and uh, who's the guy? Sterling Brown? Sterling Brown? Um, he's, 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 he's good, but Regina Hall really steals the show. Like she's the pastor. She plays the pastor's wife, um, after a scandal, after a church scandal. And it's just, oh, it's so, it's so good. It's so good. It's so, it's just, it's a beautiful depiction of, it's so funny. Okay. Anyways, my point though, is that if we affirm each other and, and I really want to close here because I don't think that we need to keep impressing on this point. So, because I want you guys to practice over lunch. If we affirm each other and if we celebrate each other for these things, first of all, it's consistent with the way that God celebrates us. Second of all, it removes the need to perform out of the culture. Just sucks it, it just makes it powerless. Because everybody will know, I don't have to perform. I'm appreciated. And when you get to that, then people can actually be free to be who God has created them to be. I think sometimes we don't tackle this and we don't want to tackle this because the, the drive to reform is actually really useful to getting people to do good stuff. It puts pressure on them to show up early and set chairs well and all this stuff. But I don't, that's not, I, I also think it's quite useful. <laughs> you know? But that doesn't make you free before God. And we don't want church or church culture to be a stumbling block in who God wants you to be. Do you know? So let's practice. Find something that you appreciate about everybody else in this room. It's, I'm ending early today to allow us time to do an application understand. Now, I have to run off to the airport, so I won't be able to participate, but <laughs> yes, that's right. I, I won't be able to participate, but the rest of you are stuck here. Lunch isn't even here yet, and you have plenty of opportunity to, to practice. I really want you to, I really want you to practice. Practice. Right. Find something that you appreciate about someone else that they did not earn, and they didn't, it was not, not, not something they did well. So not like, oh, I really like your makeup. No, they, they, they did that. To, to, so don't, 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 you know. Or, you know, I, I, I really like how you are so humble. No, that, that no, we're not talking about that stuff. We're talking about the stuff that they didn't earn. 
I like the shape of your face. <laughs> you can't even talk about the straightness of their teeth anymore because that probably is, <laughs> you know. But 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 you 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 get you understand the thing that I'm sort of trying to get at, like the things that like they're born with that they did not earn. You don't have to do everybody. I know that's a lot of people. I know it's kind of hard. Don't focus on only one thing. Like, you know, being tall is good, but so is being short. They both have their different uses. It just depends on what you're doing in life. You know? And practice over lunch. Try to, you know, try, try to express your value for at least, you know, five to ten people. You're like, this is so uncomfortable. <laughs> and that's what makes it important. If we were to ask you all to affirm Sydney for baking delicious muffins, everybody could do it. Nobody would feel any bit of discomfort in doing it. it would, in fact, it would be the most natural thing. Because that's what we do all the time. We affirm people for good things they've done. Now I want you to affirm people for something they haven't done. Something that may make you seem shallow for even noticing it, but be shallow. Go there. Because if God's playing in the shallow place, I want to play in the shallow place. You know, like It's just it's how it is. Yeah? Make him feel cherished, just like you do to our toddlers. You're never like, oh, you're so smart. You're like, oh, I love your fussy socks. <laughs> they didn't even put them on, didn't pick them. What do you love about them, you know? Mom and Papa probably picked them. Mom and Papa may have picked them specifically to get indirect anyways. So over lunch, I'm going to come back up and do a few more songs, but then afterwards, over lunch, try to find something about other people who want to affirm. Celebrate. It's not the same thing as honor. Save your honor for people who have earned it. But you can celebrate everybody. Make them feel valuable in your eyes because of something that they did not earn. And in that regard, lift up the things that God gave them It's hard to overstate how important this will be. Get rid of people's need to strive. Get rid of people's need to perform. Get rid of people's need to, you know, feel like they need to please you or say the right things or do the right things or like, it'll really bless you if we learn how to do this, okay? Especially our guests. Make sure all of our non-members get at least five or 10 affirmations. Try to affirm them for different things. You can't everybody be like, wow, your teeth are so white. Okay, they got that. Let's try something else. This flock of goats thing, I mean, I think there's something to it. I, I, I think we should try to figure out how to use this. Your hair is like a flock of goats coming down the hill. Go, yeah. Should we read some more of the song songs just because I have a few more minutes here and you guys are a captive audience? Chapter two. Um, is actually so very interesting to me. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. Uh, there's actually something really beautiful about this, which it's poetic, but it says, I see you. And people want to be seen, right? 
It says, I see you. It says, I notice you. It says, I see the way that you act. I see the way you behave. I see the fluidity of your emotions. I see the, the gracefulness with which you pick up a cup. Like, I see these things. Do you know? All right, I think we're done. Seems like I've totally lost interest. You guys are like, it's so uncomfortable. Why do you come to church if not to be made uncomfortable? This is the whole point. Just kidding, just kidding. If you don't want to be uncomfortable, leave right after the praise. All right, let's stand and pray together for a few minutes. Kellen, come, please. Father, we want to thank you for all that you are to us and all that you've created us to be and how awesome we are. How awesome we are. And I pray, Lord, that you really would remove this performance culture from out of our midst and from out of our generation. That we would not be self-critical. We would not look at ourselves and be like, oh, you know, you're so big, you're so small, your feet are so long, they're so short, they're so fat. They're so... God, I just pray that you would really remove that out of us and realize, help us to realize that we have been created in your image and however you've created us is beautiful in your sight because we're beautiful in your sight. We have intrinsic value because we're valuable to you and we should be valuable to one another. And to, for any of us that are blind to the way that other people are valuable because of how you've created us, I pray that you would fix that in us. So we would not just notice the things that people have done well, but we would notice the wonderful way in which you have fashioned and formed us. And that there is dignity that you've given to us. That there is a certain glory, a certain worth that you've given to us. That we've had since the day that we were born and which we will carry until the day that we die. Whether we dress well, we dress poorly, whether we are rich or poor, whether we're educated or not educated, whether we talk well or do not whether we know a lot of things we can never lose the fact that we have been created in the image of perfect beauty so help us just as freely as we may tell Grace or Bethany or Eliza or Joshua or Micaiah that we think they're cute with that same grace with that same freedom Father I pray that you would set this church free to give our brothers and sisters the same type of shelter and belonging and safety and nurturing that we give to the children and in fact even more that the things that seem uncomfortable to us now would become natural to us as you build us up as you build up this church Thank you for creating the world this way. Thank you for giving us that thing that we could not earn. The sum of all of our good works still rends us unworthy, but you've made us worthy. And for that we are quite grateful. Quite grateful. truth is you're always giving us things we don't deserve you're always taking care of us you always see ahead and you know exactly what we need and what would fill our hearts and you provide all those things to us and you're a good father and we want to offer you praise
for how you relate to us, for how you are true and kind and caring, and how you see us. Help us to see one another. Help us to build up the church and to build up your bride. Help us not to be awkward, but to sincerely feel and receive the value and the dignity that you've given to us freely. In Jesus' name.